Good evening, everybody, or anyone listening after the fact. We're glad you decided to tune in. This is somewhat the follow-up to the first conversation we had on diversity, equity, inclusion. The first conversation really focused on why we have a problem. This conversation, we're going to shift the focus a little bit more on what we can do to be better because we have a lot of work to do. There's so many people impacted by you know the problem we have here in craft beer. It's just not the industry is not inclusive enough for people of color. It's not inclusive enough to women. Um, Kelly, you're here because dis disabled people and people who have other issues, you know, gay, lesbian, queer, all of that. There's so many people who aren't treated correctly in craft beer, and we have to be better, and that's why we're here. So I want to talk about that right now and get started. Lenox, we're going to begin with you. If you could, just a 60-second intro, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Lennox Mercedes. I started in craft beer in 2012 when I launched the first hip hop beer festival way back in the heyday. Uh, a rep actually told me that I was way ahead of my time, and I think she was a little right. <laughs> so, since then and before then, uh, I've been an educator, always worked, you know, with young people and trying to mend fences wherever I found a broken one. So, uh, that's pretty much it. Expanded into doing consulting and working on more products and content uh, going into the future to help end racism and and celebrate unity through craft beer, cannabis, and classic hip hop culture. No, I was really excited when we connected recently. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. Hannah, you're up. Hi, I'm Hannah Gody. I am the head brewer for a brewery called Naked Brewing. Um, we're in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I've been in craft beer professionally for about six years. Um, and I serve on the MBAA Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force, um, as well as our State Brewers Guild uh, DEI Task Force. So, um, work pretty much every day in some capacity, uh, trying to help promote and foster a more inclusive and equitable beer community. So stoked to be here. Thanks for being here as well. Kelly, glad to have you because initially, you know, when you finally reached back out to me, we had already filled up the first panel, but I feel this topic so important. That's why we're having two conversations on it. And we truly can't have enough conversations on this. So Kelly, please tell everybody a little bit about who you are. So I am Kelly Weiss. I'm in a little, really tiny brewery, just a little five barrel brewery in the tiniest little town in Montgomery County in Pennsylvania. So I'm I'm kind of like probably about 40 minutes away from, from Hannah if, if I don't catch all the red lights. Um, our little brewery, um, our two sons are on the autism spectrum. So before having a brewery and building the brewery, just so our kids can have work, because work situations for individuals with disabilities is just horrific. There's about a 70% rate of unemployment or underemployment for individuals with individuals with disabilities. Um, and it's a really And I thought I was in the advocacy world. Hold on, let me put my let me put my earbuds on. I hear that. Um, I was in the advocacy world beforehand, and. Uh, I just shifted to beer because I thought what a better, what a really cool tool to take it up to the next level because everybody likes beer. It makes it more approachable. So our little brewery is, uh, we strive to be 100% inclusive. 
um, we're disability friendly. We built our whole tap room around the fact of welcoming individuals with all kinds of disabilities, including having a 100% accessible uh, bathroom, a companion bathroom that includes an adult size changing table for individuals who might need that because you shouldn't have to leave fun just to have to go to the bathroom. The bathroom. That's absolutely amazing, Kelly. I'm, I'm so glad you're here with us today. <laughs> Thank you know, you. Betsy, we spoke a few times before, and, and last time, I know you and Allison were sharing a little square, so you get your own square today. I know, I do. I get my own square today. Allison's upstairs watching the office. Yeah, but I'm going to just co-founder and head brewer now. And uh, yeah, so we found we opened in 2016 with uh, just with the goal of, of being a social entrepreneurship brewery, a philanthropic philanthropic brewery that uh, we donate a, um, a majority of our profits over costs to uh, Colorado nonprofits that work with women and girls. And our focus, you know, we, we um, were fully female owned and operated. And then um, uh, we're also queer owned and operated and um, we were Latina founded. So we, we have found ourselves in different um, sort of bubbles of uh, DE&I for sure. And, and we're, what we're trying to do in our goal is just to always make sure the circle is getting wider and wider and wider for W-I-D-E-R. I know that might sound whiter, but I'm saying wider uh, for, <laughs> um, for everyone. We want everyone who comes to Lady Justice to feel like they belong here. Um, and so that's really what our focus has been. So we're just trying to to lead and guide the conversations and, and the beer culture around um, making sure that that it's it's not just for one person or one group, but we want we want to be able to be um, in the room for conversations like this, but also in the room for conversations like business leadership and and brewing leadership. Like we we believe that representation matters. So that's. That's what we're about, and, and we're always making sure that we're funneling our money to support women and girls doing doing work in their own industries and their own lives to make sure that it's not just about beer, but it's just about community, and it's about teaching people how to spend their money in ways that really can impact their own neighborhoods. No, I love everything your brewery stands for, and I'm glad you're here again tonight, Betsy, so thank you. Yeah, and Jamar, I saw you earlier today, but this panel is going to be a little bit different. I think it's extremely important topic we're talking about tonight, but if you could tell everybody a little background about yourself. Absolutely. Jamar Valentine, uh, I guess the sole representative on this panel from down here in the South in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, you know, down here, it wasn't that long ago that diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, people thought were the names of old wooden ships, uh, instead of concepts. So, uh, you know, growing up in small town, rural North Carolina, uh, you know, it was certainly a, a very small, small representation of, of what we saw in the community. And then to see craft beer now, uh, there's still a very small, small representation. Uh, so particularly here in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, we look forward to seeing more evolution. Uh, and I expect to be uh, a part of that. No, thanks again for doing double duty today, Jamar. Now, I just want to ask everybody once again, we kind of dove into a little bit about your background, but all five of you are here today because your voices that are passionate about the 
change we can do in craft beer. And I would love to hear why you have decided to step up, you know, and be a voice of influence and be a leader in this time. So at this point, anyone jump in at any point, I'd love to hear why you feel, you know, you wanted to be a leader in this you know, aspect of our industry. I like to say if not me or if not you, then who? Uh, and I think it starts there. You know, if none of us are willing to step up and speak up, uh, then how can anyone else in our community, in our circle of influence, feel convicted to want to speak up, to be a good role model uh, for any version of diversity, equity, or inclusion? Yeah, I mean, Jamar, that's so true. I think for me personally, um, you know, this this type of work has always been something that I have felt is important. Um, but I think for a long time, I didn't feel like there were a lot of people for me to either rally around or have rally around me or, you know, kind of be together um, in issues with us. Um, where it really came to the forefront for me was actually um, the beginning of 2020. I was sexually assaulted at a uh, brewing industry event. And I took that opportunity and kind of thought, okay, I could either wallow in this um, or I can do something proactive and positive and say, this isn't going to happen to me again. And let's work so that this does not happen to anybody else, male, female, um, whatever, you know, whatever, whoever you are. Um, and I sort of looked at it as, I have a voice and I'm comfortable using that voice. And if I can help somebody else to feel a little less alone or feel a little bit more included, um, let me do that. Um, so that's, that's sort of, I think 2020, especially for me has been a year where it's kind of like, let's do this. Um, I'm all in. <laughs> no, I love it. Anyone else want to step up to the mic on that one? Well, first, Hannah, uh, I want to say I'm really sorry that happened to you because that should never happen to anybody, like ever. Um, uh, for me, it was, as you heard from the beginning, it was uh, actually an act of necessity for, in, in many ways, whether it was advocacy before we had a brewery or advocacy now. But, um, my biggest goal is just to, just like Betsy was saying, like to start the conversations, keep having the conversations to the point where it just becomes a conversation. It doesn't become novel. It doesn't become, wow, it's so amazing you're doing this. I want it just to become part of the fabric of the community. And just like Jamar said, if it's not us, then then who's going to do it? And, and sometimes you're just given stuff in life that this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. You got to, you, you're part of the fabric of moving the needle forward. And, and that's what we're trying to do. No, and Lennox, I'm going to call on you now because we've had a great conversation before. And when you first launched High Gravity Hip Hop Fest, your festival in 2012, or what made you decide to actually make it happen? Um, I attribute my desire to work in race relations, for lack of a better term, to my upbringing in New York. I'm a first-generation American. My father's from the Dominican Republic. My mom is from Ecuador. Um, I think racially I'm black, white, and Latino. 
If that makes sense. So I'm like these these different things. My I have two Spanish grandparents from Spain, but you know, up the line. And as everyone was going around, you know, what was the real kind of source, the beginning, beginning? And I thought of this story that happened to me in ninth grade that I've never told, maybe told one person. Very personal and very kind of raw, to be honest with you. And um, I had started a new high school. You know, everyone goes to a new high school in New York. You don't go eight, whatever. Most schools are like that. And I only had like one or two friends from junior high school that went to that school. And huge school, thousands of kids. And um, me and my buddy Hector were walking to the lunchroom. And there was this Indian boy with a turban on. And I called him an onion head. Flat out racist terminology. High school, you know, 14 years old, just being a, a knucklehead. And I'll never forget in my life, ever in life, that Hector was like, he stopped me immediately. He's like, whoa, whoa. He's like, whoa. He's like, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, don't, don't be racist. He just straight up said, just like, don't be racist. And I was like, you know what? You're right. You know, because people discriminate against us that way too. You know, the Italians, the Russians, or other ethnicities. You know, there's a lot of tense, you know, tense moments a lot of times. And I never forgot that moment, you know. So whenever I had the opportunity to speak up, just like everyone here, it's like, well, it's incumbent upon you to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves or who don't have the words or the speaking ability or the quickness of wit, you know, to kind of respond or the courage to respond in a situation. We have to be the protectors of those people. There's people who are just not as bright and not as, you know, and they get taken advantage of all the time in all these different kind of segments that we've identified. You know, I have a special needs system, two of them, you know, so that doesn't, you know, fall by the wayside when you talk about special needs in the bathrooms. That's very real. I have carried a young person many times in and out of a vehicle, the wheelchair, wheels on, a, you know, so it totally resonates with that. So yeah, I think there's people who's willing to do that and there's people who are naturally protectors and there's people who are a little bit predatory almost naturally as well. And it, somebody has to step up and, and kind of challenge that for people who can't for themselves. Now, Kelly, I'd like to kind of go back to you on this one because you talked about how it's your goal to make your tap room 100% inclusive. And you've talked about, you know, what you've done to the bathrooms to make them super friendly for everyone. You know, what are some of the other measures you've taken to make that 100% inclusive tap room? Well, the first and foremost is getting the message out there that we actually did it. <laughs> and that, that and, and our goal and sharing our story, our why behind it and being very open and frank about that and continually making that part of our social media. And so we're a brewery and we want to brew good beer and we want our tap room to be like cool and kitschy, but we also want it to be really inclusive. So um, in the build out, it was things like widening all the doorways and widening that beyond what ADA asks you to do. Because if you only do what ADA asks you to do, you're going through some narrow places where your knuckles get stuck like on both the doorways. And it's like, we're, we're not doing that. We're not having anybody scraping there. And we could do that because we were in a build out phase. So we had a blank canvas to start to work with. So we have a sensory room where it's actually, 
try and turn my laptop so see this little white house thing behind me that's our little sensory room and what we did in there is it's still part of the tap room but it's like a little aside it's the worst place that it can possibly be i basically built a fort in our tap room which is cool i kind of feel like a genius before that um but actually our flooring in there is cork backed so it gets quieter in there we have a fish tank. We have a bookshelf when we're allowed to have books back in there. We have alternate kind of seating in there. Everything we had, we have a bin in there when we're allowed to be open that we change things out. That it's actually considered what is called a sensory bin. So we put different mediums in there. We change it out with the seasons that people with sensory needs might just put their hands in there and move it around and it, it just relaxes them. It helps calm them. Um, our lighting is completely warm LED. So people who have vision differences, it is always this bright in my brewery all the time. And some people have asked like, why is it so bright in here? I, my answer is because I'd rather people be able to see than have the ambiance of a dark space. It's more important that people who are visually impaired can see it. And then we can start the discussion as why. We have the bathroom. We have the fact that all our floor is one level and I actually, we laid the tile so they can track it with their eyes better. Our bar is two different heights. So people with a wheelchair can actually wheel up to our bar and they don't have to, they get a choice of where they wanna sit rather being assigned a place. Um, our, our signage and our menus are in dyslexic font because I think it is, hold on, I'm gonna have to, I'm going to have to look up my notes, but I want to say 20% of people have some level of a reading disability and it's, it's dyslexia font helps them actually read. So that was by uh, somebody over in Amsterdam who is dyslexic and they created this font to help them read better. We have had people, we've only been open a year and five months and of that year and five months, only nine months of those were actually allowed to have people in the tap room. And we have actually had people ask us, why can I read your menu when I can't read other people's menus? 20% is so many people. Right. That's, I mean, that's a really big so, percentage. If you think about the number of people in your right. tap room that like one in five of them can't read your menu, right. that's so a really think about big revenue wise. Right, like I'm just gonna like kind of pop people right right in the purse strings and revenue in your bottom lines. But one in four people in the United States of America have a disability. You can't just think of that one person, you have to think about all the people who love that one person. And when people come in here and they see that you planned for them, that you had them in mind, let me tell you, they go and they tell somebody else and they tell somebody else because it is a big deal. And I think all of us can agree with that as feeling like, I'm just going to use the term for lack of a better word, but when, when in other situations you're on the periphery and you feel like you're excluded in some ways, and all of a sudden you feel like you have a community embracing you and just acknowledging that you exist, it's, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal.
Kelly, everything you're saying is absolutely amazing because I'm guilty of it myself. When I think about being more inclusive, I'm not necessarily initially thinking disability and sensory friendly. So I think what you're drawing attention to is something that needs much more attention. Well, and, one you know, thing I want to share is that disability is the one demographic that goes across all demographics and any of us can become it tomorrow. So basically anything we do today, building on it, is really in some in some ways looking after ourselves, right? So when I get old and hopefully still have this brewery, I'm going to be able to wheel around it in my little walker, right? <laughs> and, and have some things built in here that's going to help me be able to stay in my brewery for, for longer years than I might have been able to had I not done these. So for the other 8,000 breweries out there right now, what would you like to see them do better with regard to this? Oh, man, like just make it so they can get in the door. Like (laughs) that's the number one. It's amazing how many businesses you can't you can't even get in the door. Right. Um, I we had lots of compliments about the bar to different heights, you know, just not being assigned a spot that you have to sit, being part of it. Um, I think I think using the font. I, I'm so shocked that in in marketing, that that font usage is in a bigger conversation to be had because just like Betsy was saying, like that that's a lot of people that can't read what you have to offer. So we're even still just still struggling to get some things done, like making sure. Our, our webpage is going to go completely under construction again to make sure that, you know, it can, people who might not be able to read it can hear it, you know, just any accessible features you can have. I personally would absolutely adore to see more bathrooms that are the companion bathrooms with the adult changing table. I am tired of my friends having to change their kids of all ages um, that just have those needs. I'm tired of them having to go out to their car and change them in their car. I'm tired of them having to lay them on the floor. I'm t- I, I think it's like 2020, come on people, we gotta get better than that. And I get that it's expensive and I really wish that there were grants out there for that, that could cover stuff like that and help businesses because when you're looking at putting a table, that, that, that table that we have, you know, it costs us $8,000. And that's no small chunk of change when you're building out a brewery. So I do wish there was grant availability for, for things like that. And and just other things, you know, that you can do. Some things are very low tech, like we, we color coded our hoses. So our boys, when they're brewing, they know which, which hose goes with which tank. And, you know, so that's real low tech stuff that doesn't cost money, but, but some of it does cost money. Some of it, some of it is a real big deal. No, I appreciate you being here today so much because when we think inclusivity, like I mentioned, you know, this is not the first thing we think of, but there's so many ways breweries can be more inclusive. And this is just oh, one of many ways we need to And improve. I forgot to ask the most obvious, I mean, answer the most obvious one. And this happened, and, and Hannah might remember this, that this, this actually happened in Pennsylvania where, and I, I really don't want to bash anybody because it happens all the time. It happens at schools. It it happens across the board. You make these beautiful diversity mission statements for an organization. 
and I ultimately read it and I end up putting my head on the table because guess who they forgot? Individuals with disabilities. Like we're, we're, we're excluded from like the inclusion club and, and that hurts. Like, so I really wanna see that changed. That's mind blowing to say that you're excluded from the inclusion club. That statement, Kelly, wow, that's extremely powerful. And no, I, I'm very, very glad you're here today talking about this because this is extremely important. Thank you. Now, I would love for anyone else to step up and just kind of talk about what you're doing in your business to make your tap room more inclusive and welcoming to all. Uh, well, maybe it's not what we're doing. I, I first want to bring up a topic that I heard Dr. J bring up uh, from the Brewers Association. You know, when you consider the idea of inclusion, it's more than just, you know, suddenly playing some hip hop music in your brewery uh, and thinking that that's all of a sudden being diverse and inclusive, um, kind of like what was mentioned on the last uh, panel regarding regarding DEI, you know, it's more than just brewing your uh, black is beautiful beer and suddenly you've checkmarked a box and now you're inclusive. Uh, it's more than putting a sticker on your door that says we're ADA welcoming. Um, you know, it's more than just a single checkmark or a few different tasks that you've knocked out that indicate that you're doing it. It is a culture and a lifestyle and it does require constant participation, not just by your brewery owners, your taproom managers, it's every last employee. Um, it's the expectation you have of anyone that walks in your door to continue to support that culture of respect for all, all inclusivity. Um, and, you know, I'm not telling anyone how they should uh, choose the money that comes in to their brewery, uh, but I would expect that any of our guests that enter would treat anyone else that they come across with the same respect that's expected uh, of all of us. Um, and, you know, that's a culture you foster. When you foster that culture, those that can't get on board won't feel comfortable and they will in turn have to question something within themselves, whether it's on premise or when they leave and depart and choose not to come back for now. But the world will continue to change. And again, it takes each of us individuals to step up and speak for it. So again, it's not just putting on some hip hop music or having a salsa night. Uh, and it's not just slapping a sticker on your door. Uh, you know, having the adult changing table is one small sign that's actually a big sign with ripple effects. But, uh, you know, Kelly, I, one thing I know is if you had the adult changing tables and everything else within your brewery wasn't consistent with that message, uh, someone would say, what the heck, what's going on? It's a mixed message. And, you know, same, just because we have uh, pride flags in our brewery, that isn't what makes us welcoming of uh, the LGBTQIA community. Um, you know, it's, it's the culture and the action that we expect for every last person that we hire and our day-to-day -day interactions with everyone that walks into the brewery. And I think you've also made the choice to be better. So I think that's a step in the right direction. You know, it's, it's the first thing you have to do, acknowledge that we have a problem and work towards, you know, improving the situation. So I love everything you just said, Jamar. Well, and I also think like, that's exactly where, like, so this, this panel is about like, how do we, how do we do better? And 
it's it has to start at at the leadership and it has to start you know um from the top and so like at lady justice you know we can talk a lot about the inclusion of women and girls and we can talk a lot about the inclusion of um lgbtq right because you know we have queer leadership and we have female leadership and all of that but for us being um what we found which was which was unexpected is just that by our pure existence we became important to people that that are also in our representative circles so like it became important that we existed to other queer folks in in the area other queer beer drinkers and other another queer um brewery owners and brewers in the industry and it became important to other women in the industry that we existed and we didn't totally understand that when we opened that that would be such as such an important piece and so now as 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 the person who's in the main form of leadership at lady justice what i also have to figure out is how is it that i am being representative of my communities but how am i also making sure that i have the resources and the framework and the language to make sure that people who are not like me, who want to, who who are coming into Lady Justice, how how do I make sure that I'm also creating space for others who who are different from me? And so I think it's 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 it takes like for me as a white woman, it takes me stepping outside of my own comfort zone and taking responsibility for my own privilege in the ways in which I things are easier for me as a white person in the brewing industry than they are for black and brown folks in the brewing industry. And how do I how do I make sure that like my experiences as a gay person and my experiences as a woman, how do I how do I make sure that um, that others aren't experiencing the same thing because of me on behalf, you know, like so there's a there's a huge responsibility, I think, for leadership on every level to come in and say, yeah, it's not just about like, you could play all the hip hop music that you want in your brewery. Like we could do that at Lady Justice and we would be, it, we would be total fakes, right? So like, how how is it that I, as the person who's training, training my staff and doing the hiring um, decisions and, and in everything from who do we sell to and who don't we and who, what are the liquor stores that we're working with in distribution? Like looking at the whole circle and making sure that we are not part of the problem. And that's a really hard thing for people to do in many different areas. So it's it's hard it's hard for me as a white woman to to take a step back and be like, oh, maybe I was wrong about that. You know, like maybe I'm not being as inclusive as I thought it was. Like maybe maybe I thought playing hip hop music was doing all the right things in my brewery. And actually like it's not doing all the right things. And what are the steps that I need to take to make sure that um, I am improving myself as a person and I am making sure that I am, I am doing, uh, doing the work and putting in the sweat and the equity to make sure that like, that I'm doing this the right way so that I'm not alienating others. And that I'm not, that I'm not creating bigger problems and hurting more people by my like, quote unquote crusade to do it to be a good person right so like i think there's a the personal responsibility behind that is actually pretty huge i don't know that we necessarily as a an entire brewing culture have taken that in yet and i think we're starting to take those steps and talk about that stuff but if we're talking about how do we do better there are there are lots of ways to improve 
as an industry and as a culture to make sure that we're not <laughs> like just totally derailing this and messing it up from step one. I agree with that. And um, I'm just going to jump in real quick. I think we need more Hectors. I think we need more people to say, don't be racist, bro. That's wrong. You know, and it's incumbent on white people to tell other white people, whether it be your relative or a fellow brewery and whatnot, um, because these are people we love. At the end of the day, there's somebody that you know and love that has strong convictions about something that you think could be totally wrong on any number of levels, right? Any number, whether it be race, politics, this, that, whatever. You got to do the right thing, like Betsy said, for yourself, and then you got to be a Hector. And when you see something going down that's wrong, you got to be have the courage to say, hey, man, even if you got to pull them to the side or whatever, you don't want to make a big spectacle, but that's what it takes. It takes people saying, hey, you know, that's not right. Don't do that. Do not do that. It's wrong. You'd be surprised how many people take heed to that. You know, you'd be surprised what I'm drinking tonight. A little Founders, okay? As we all know, Founders was caught in that huge scandal with the racial discrimination with the employee and all this stuff. And when I went out to get beer tonight, I thought it would be kind of ironic to, to sip some Founders because it's still one of the best stouts. I mean, honestly, the breakfast style is just legendary. My heart was broken when they went through all the stuff because I was like, why? You know, and we have quietly boycotted this. The, the Black Drinkers Association, fictitiously, but, you know, there's been a lot of people who are just like, nope, and you see somebody post like, oh, I'm drinking Founders, and everybody's like, nah. <laughs> you know, so the coalition of the willing. There's people who are not willing, and there's people who are willing. I want to focus on the people who are willing, and let's do the work, because to convince someone, you know, to change the entire mind frame about whatever, you know, I'm I'm not gonna. I can't convince my parents to not vote for Trump because of gay people. Okay, my Latino parents, right, are Republicans. Okay, so I'm not even gonna bother. But I know I can work with the next generation and people who are willing to do this work. Um, if you have any kind of proximity to it, your humanity has to kick in. It just has to. The only people who I feel have these convictions against people is because they've never encountered these folks. You've never had a beer with somebody in any of these groups. You never just sat down and dealt with the humanity of these people. My mind opened up a lot, not only on race relations, but when I worked at Morehouse, there was a significant gay community. And I had not been exposed to that before. And I learned a lot, a lot, empathy and compassion for people who risk losing their families, all types of financial support, their churches, everything cast away because they decided to love someone of the same sex. I have seen so many stories, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Kid, a kid will get a full scholarship to Morehouse College that could change the entire family's life and will be shunned by the father, which triggers the mom, right? Because she, you know, and you got to stick to, and all of these stories that, that we've all kind of heard. And when you get personal with it, when you sit down and have a beer with somebody, it's extremely hard to be against any of the protected groups, right? The ADA, there's a, there's a list and, and we want to cover everybody and you shouldn't be discriminated against based on those things. We need Hector's to say, that's wrong, don't do that. To go back to where you first started then, Hannah, we'll go to you. 
you know, an uneducated person who makes a racist comment or an unintentional racist who says something by accident, you know what, they are still a racist. And what they said is still wrong. And I think that's where education really plays into this. And we just need to constantly teach people to be better. And Hannah, I'd love to turn the floor over to you. Well, um, first of all, I was going to say, um, yes, education, and I will touch on that in just a second. But um, I think all of us sitting on this panel probably understand this idea. Um, so I'm going to sort of speak to those that are, are listening. Um, doing DEI work, so diversity, equity, inclusion. Diversity is the first word. Um, and that's for a lot of people, that's what they're really striving for, right? Um, but something that I've learned in this process um, by doing a lot of listening, a lot of reading, um, is that diversity is not your driver. Diversity is going to be your end result. Um, creating a more inclusive, equitable, and just environment and society will ultimately result in a more diverse community. Um, but just seeking out diversity, like you're jumping a whole bunch of different levels. Um, and if that is your sole focus and that's what your 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 mind and eye is on, um, you're missing out on a whole lot of other things and honestly kind of missing the point. Um, so to anybody that is, is looking to really create a more diverse environment, um, you definitely want to and, and need to focus on creating a inclusive and equitable environment first, um, which will then bring apart, uh, bring as a result, some a more diverse um, community. Something else too that I learned pretty early on, um, and this is something that I oftentimes will stress to people that are coming to me and saying, how do I, how do I get involved in this and how do I become a better ally? And um, I just, I'm so afraid to say the wrong thing or to do the wrong thing. Guess what? You're going to, all of us are going to, at some point, I'm going to fuck up. I have fucked up. Sorry. I don't know if I'm even supposed to say that word, but <laughs> um, we're all going to screw up. Um, and what you should strive to do, um, obviously, is not screw up, but it's going to happen because we're human and we're learning. Um, but keep learning, keep listening. Um, and even when you do screw up, I think the important part of that is going, OK, I own that I screwed up. I'm going to listen to those that are coming to me. I'm going to listen to the hectares that are saying, yo, dude, you got done messed up. <laughs> like, how do I fix this? And you change it and you improve upon it. Um, and you know, my my personal goal is to be one percent every one percent better every single day. Even if I take a step backwards, um, I'm learning from that and I'm moving forward. Um, and I think that that's something that's really important in doing this kind of work. Um, and I I feel like because it can be kind of an, an intimidating subject for people to even um, want to engage in a conversation. Um, so I've I've actually found that sort of starting the whole conversation by saying, I've screwed up, you're going to screw up and it's okay, kind of levels the playing field for people um, and makes it feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, and when people feel a little bit more comfortable to have those conversations and they don't feel defensive, that's when the real conversations can actually happen um, because people aren't fearing that they're going to say the wrong thing and fearing that you're going to then attack them. Um, so, and a lot of that really comes from education too. 
And I can really relate to everything you just said. I mean, you made a comment about you're going to make mistakes through this process. And, you know, I'm in an odd spot right now. For once, I'm the only white guy with a beard, you know, in this room of crap beer related topics. But you know what? <laughs> I know uh, that's it. You're scaring me. But, you know, I want to have these conversations and I understand when I have these conversations and I bring all of us together. I'm going to make mistakes and everybody who's thinking about, you know, wanting to make these changes for the better, just like Hannah said, you're going to make mistakes too, but that's part of getting better. You know, we don't do anything perfect the first time, whether you're just learning to play baseball, if you're learning to, you know, read, you're learning to write everything you do for the first time or try to get better at, you will stumble, you will fall, but you're doing it because you want to be better. And I think, you know, we have to stay really positive through all this. I just want to add something real quick on Hannah's piece about responding and Betsy's piece about the leadership. Um, going back to founders, when that situation first evolved, it was an alley-oop. It was a, a softball. They had the opportunity to knock it out of the park and really take a stand and say, hey, we have, it's just, I mean, from morally, from a marketing PR, clout, <laughs> social media standpoint it was a huge missed opportunity because they could have easily corrected the situation but the leadership was ingrained in their thinking and unwilling and double down and triple down on like the whole it, it was it was just such a train wreck i could not believe that no one <laughs> there was no hectors around to say hey stop stop what you're doing this is not you know the way to respond to this because it's one thing you, you, and I was thinking about this earlier, you know, the the back dock of the brewery could become the international stage by the press of a button. So what you thought was a private, you know, no one, you know, it's just my personal feelings could suddenly be broadcast. And now you're held to task for something that you may have said in jest or that you knew you were being a little, you know, pushing the envelope, but you decided to kind of, you're, you're that guy or you're that lady in your crew or whatever who kind of says the crazy things. I've been that guy to kind of say things off the hook just to kind of get a reaction. But it's one thing when it's five people in the room. And it's another thing when you're on a national stage and all of a sudden, you know, your business is getting hurt and, and all, all of these things. So, so yeah, the leadership, and I get it because sometimes you put your head down and you're working for so long and so hard and leveraging everything to the hilt to get everything off the ground. You may not see it. Right. You got the blinders on. You may not see it. And that's why these conversations are critical and the swelling of support for this type of sentiment. And and uh, it, it's critical. So I have to applaud you, Andrew, the work you've been doing um, and with the group and, and all of that stuff and, and everyone on this panel. I, I'm very proud to be on this panel with you. I've been on a lot of panels <laughs> and I'm very, very proud to, to be on this panel with people who are actually doing the work. Well, and like to that point, Linux, when you talk about, like when you talk about, yes, it's very easy right now. And I think we're gonna start seeing more and more conversations in our industry about, um, I don't like calling it cancel culture, but that's essentially what's going, you know, like when it, when you really can like overnight, like one conversation, it happened, but I think you know what what we've seen with founders is that it wasn't one conversation. It was a systematic problem, and it was deeply embedded within how people were trained and how they were treated in their job. But it's what's interesting 
like what's happening right now is I think a lot of people are afraid to say or do the wrong thing. And I think, and I, I don't, it's, it's a hard thing to say, but I also think that if like, I would, I would assume that a, that a, a brewery like founders with the resources they had available to them already knew <laughs> that they were still making money <laughs> off of their beer with a crowd that didn't necessarily care that their employees were being treated equitably, right? And so there's also this, and I think that's where the discomfort piece comes in, where it's like, well, this is my crowd and they're who's buying the beer here. And they're saying some things that maybe I don't agree with or might be a little uncomfortable, but like, I need to pay my staff tonight, so I'm not gonna ruffle these feathers too much, right? And so there is, it's hard to have the Hectors in your life being like, this is wrong, you need to say something when you're also like trying to pay the bills and paying people. And that's where being able to address these things again at a systematic cultural level at a, a at a level of leadership if if you start training your staff in these things from the from the get go like from so it's really about learning how do we how do we embrace an entire culture that is comfortable to be able to talk about these things right cuz again like we're all going to we're all going to screw up we're all going to say do things that that wasn't at our best but if we have each other in the room to say, Betsy, you're great, but you really, you really messed up this time. And here, and here's why, and here's what I want you to do better. I've had those conversations with, with people in, in, in my industry. Linux, I'm in the higher ed industry outside of my beer job as well. And so mm -hmm. like, I've, I've had people be like, Betsy, I needed you to back me up on that conversation and you didn't. So the next time we're in the room and this subject come, comes up, I need you to say something. And I was like, sure, great, I will. Thank you for letting me know. I'm sorry I wasn't here next, this time, but next time I will be there. And I think we just have to learn, and it's really hard, like it, it's hard to get into that space. But once you get into that space, it actually becomes easier. Like we are able to do this work. I mean, I am able to do this work because I have been doing work like this long enough where it, Again, muscle memory, right? Like it just becomes part of your work. But if if you don't start off that way, there's a there's a huge gap and there's a there's a place to jump off at. And so I think I don't know how, but like I think we need to start offering more resources to folks in these areas and being able to like to really embrace this stuff and, and make a concerted effort to make changes. Otherwise, we're just gonna be keep relying on the same people over and over again to do this work on our behalf. And that's not okay either. But I would just say, like, to your point about, like, being worried about, you know, what what it might mean to to your bottom line affecting some of these changes. And I can only speak to the disability because, you know, that's that's the pond that I kind of swim in the most here. Um, there is some uh, recent research coming out that is showing that the more inclusive you are, in your business practices, and it, it doesn't matter what business you are, that it, and that doesn't just mean welcoming customers in your door to buy your product, that also is hiring people of, of all, yeah, basically your community, like, like not excluding anybody from your community, whatever the demographic is that you're, that, that is within your community, um, it actually increases the revenue of your bottom line. But I think that people are just 
whether you're honed in because you lived in your community for so long, whether you maybe maybe you don't know the current statistics, maybe you don't know that one in 54 people have autism, maybe you don't know one in four people have a disability. So, and then just having the conversations with people and other businesses to say, look, do you know what that means? That means every time you are going anywhere, you're in the grocery store because people are like, there's no people with disabilities in my community. And I'm like, no, you just don't know there's people in your community with disabilities because we have people coming in all the time and they're, they, they self-disclose because they feel comfortable in our environment doing it. They feel it's a safe environment to do it. And just having the conversations we had, we had one guy who comes up and he pulls me to the, he, he calls me over at the bar and he says, Hey, can I talk to you about autism? My daughter, he starts talking about his daughter and his buddy who's been his friend forever says, what are you talking about? He goes up and he says, he's talking about his daughter and he goes, what about her? And he goes, well, I'm talking about like her picky eating and autism. And I wanted to ask Kelly's input about it. And he goes, what do you mean your daughter has autism? Your daughter doesn't have autism, right? And I teased, I said, uh, I just winked at him. I said, oh, it must be because of how you part her hair. It kind of hides the fact that she has autism. You know, you kind of just kind of like try to give it that levity so you can start having a conversation. And then as we're having the conversation, I actually pulled over one of our beer tenders and I asked her, she, she does self-disclose. And I said, I said, would you mind um, introducing yourself to him and self-disclosing that you have Asperger's. She goes, absolutely. And so when they said, they saw she's working and I'm like, yeah, it's pretty amazing. You wouldn't have known had she not self-disclosed, but that's, that's the whole point. And she's somebody in your community. She's somebody you enjoy. You always knew her. You just didn't know that one aspect of her. It does not change who she is or how she is in her community. And that's the whole point of the conversation. And just to like keep building on those conversations and having people become more and more comfortable. People ask me all the time, well, how should I talk about it? And I said, well, if you're ever confused, here's where you start. You say hi to somebody and you ask them what their name is. And you wait for that person to say their name. And it doesn't matter how they say their name. It doesn't matter if they speak it. It doesn't matter if they use assistive technology. It doesn't matter if they sign it. It doesn't matter if they write it down. Just ask them their name, start the conversation. I, I really love your phrase, start the conversation, because that is how we all can get better by starting the conversation. Now, I want to go to a question Julie asked in the comments, and I'm going to read it real quick. She says, people are confusing equity and inclusion as being political. I, I would love to hear the five of you, you know, how to approach and diffuse public facing conversations like we see on social media with customers that don't understand why this is not a political issue. Does anyone want to take that one? Woo. Me. Well, I know. I know. Me. I hate to bring that to you at 52 minutes. Me. It's really easy. I would just say, that's funny. I wasn't born either Democrat or Republican or independent. I was born Kelly. And this happens no, to be good. how I'm wired. That's uh, that's, that's great in a partisan world like we have here in the US. Um, but I think we can take that even further than the political system and the references we have right here in the US. Um, you know, craft beer uh, is about community. Uh, and, you know, these issues that affect our community seem to be going, uh, you know, worldwide now. 
uh, if we look back at uh, what was happening with uh, the race issues, even in the UK, uh, coming after the, the George Floyd uh, death and going into June, you know, so many people globally were struggling to to see different sides of this uh, on history and in current time. Um, and the sad part of it, because it is a community related issue, uh, it you can't get around the fact that politics will inherently be connected to it. But the politics are simple factors that affect how we deal with the issue. Politics uh, are going to be an ever present part of how we view policies in this world um, from a legal standpoint. But the notion of, uh, you know, the culture that we create includes politics only in a very tiny manner. So uh, you, can't, you can't ignore the politics uh, and don't confuse it. It's there. It's very much going to be there. Uh, but it's the same way that arts are going to be there one way or another, and arts are a part of the culture. Uh, it's the same way that science is going to be there, even if science isn't the topic that you're talking about. It's still a part of the culture uh, connected to the equity and inclusion. So while we're here, we've got to make those mistakes. We have to keep learning and we have to have that conversation, even if it's uncomfortable. And people typically will throw the word politics around or say it's being political just because it's something that's uncomfortable to them. Because how many of us in professional life mm -hmm. have been taught two things you yes. don't discuss are religion and politics. So it's very easy to say, oh, you're just being political or you're just being religious because, oh, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't talk about it because it's, it's political. Um, but no, it's, you've got to talk about the culture that's in front of you. And the only way you're going to involve, evolve that culture is by discussing it. And again, culture being the literacy that we have, whether it means changing the font that we're reading, uh, culture, meaning the agriculture or, uh, the science of the brewing industry, it's only going to evolve to be more sustainable. The more we talk about it and push it, uh, and the inclusivity is only going to evolve as we push it. So yeah, political is an easy thing for people to throw around. And I don't think that's them mixing it up. It's just the comfort zone. They're a little blank to get around discussing the topic. Yeah, I was gonna um, say something really similar tomorrow, like the just the idea that politics is, an e it's not necessarily a scapegoat, but like it's an easy way, it's a very quick way to be able to identify your ideals with with something, somebody else's ideals on a, on a broad societal national basis, right? And so if you can just say like, oh, like you like radical leftists or just doing this, this and that, and like you conservatives are being A, B and C, it's a really easy way to back away from the hard conversation. And it's a really easy way to not take responsibility for how you feel about your own stuff. And so it's, it's much easier for me to just turn it into a political conversation because then I don't have to explore how I feel about it and I don't have to explain myself. Instead, I can just like paint a really broad stroke about how other people are experiencing this in the world and then then, then the responsibility is off of me. So I think any time that you're having these conversations and somebody tries to say that it's political, 
just maybe recognize that what they're actually experiencing is a true discomfort for what the, the experience that they're in at the moment and be find a way to bring it back to the personal right so like find a way to bring it back between you and the person that you're talking to and just you have to be able to find those intersections to identify with to be able to to jump off somewhere and so it, it's hard it's hard especially in our political climate today but just to be able to say like I think maybe I think maybe what this person is actually feeling discomfort about what we're talking about. How can I get to them on a personal basis that we can at least agree to just start talking about stuff with in a civil manner rather than blaming so what literally everybody else in the world? <laughs> so what if it's political related? And so what if it's religious related? We can why can't we have these conversations? You know, so I used to be a big big Trump fan. You know, Trump has been mentioned many times in rap songs and whatnot. He's from Queens. You know, many years we had like this, you know, he's all right. You know, he then, you know, the Central Park Five thing. Okay. You know, but he was like our millionaire local guy, right? In, in New York. Love the guy for a long time. And then get different people around you and you start saying other things for, you know, your personal game. But I don't, I, back to the point. If someone, if I'm having, if I'm having a real conversation with somebody, especially if we're having a couple of beers, it's political. Okay, so what? Let's talk about it. You know, if we can't be real over a beer, you know, where, <laughs> where else can we be real <laughs> in America? You know, the bar has always been the place where you can, you know, kind of just, just let it hang out for better or worse, and and you get some feedback from from your pals. And, and that's all we're talking about. And um, uh, it, it the political piece, yes. And Betsy's absolutely right because you can kind of camouflage yourself behind the whole thing. It's like, oh yeah, no, it's these you know these ideologies. But those people don't have the courage to either say what they actually feel and just stand on what they feel personally. Then you know you know they're, they're willing to do that and. Uh, I'm more inclined to respect someone to say, hey, you know what? I was kind of raised this way and this is kind of how we're rolling, you know, and not make a whole bunch of excuses or, you know, pretend to be whatever. Um, and that's OK. You know, I, I covered 12, 12 breweries when I went to New York shooting for this this show I'm putting together. And I remember going into this one brewery in New Jersey. It had a great view of the skyline of New York. And I was shooting behind the bar and all this stuff. And they had several, it was no mistake that they were pro-police and pro their local precincts and everything. And at first I felt a little bit like, oh, okay, I'm in a pro-police kind of brewery. But then I was like, okay, that's okay too. <laughs> you know, it's not wrong with being pro-police. You know, it wasn't anti-anything else, even though. You could assume, you know, that comes with a, a, you know, other things, but I, you know, I stopped. I remained professional, and I just did my job. But I noticed that, and I'm going to show them in a favorable, favorable light. I'm not going to, you know, make them look funny or stupid or whatever because they support police. I think that's okay, and it's, it, you can uplift your cause without stepping on someone else's cause. That is definitely possible. 
and we're not always going to agree on everything. We're probably going to disagree a lot of the time. And these tough conversations are 100% the conversations that need to be had. And, you know, if we want to better our community in craft beer, we use the phrase community so much. I mean, community is one of my favorite parts of craft beer, just talking to people like the five of you and just learning from one another. But until our community is truly inclusive and equitable and diverse, then it's not truly a community. You know, we have a long way to go because that's what a community should be. It should be a place everyone feels welcome. And I want to read a quote from Holly Regan. She was on our panel earlier and she's a huge advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. And she writes some amazing articles out there. Search her name, Holly Regan. She wrote a really great piece in Good Beer Hunting recently. And I want to read this to you all. You have to go out and make an effort to reach out to the community you want to attract and not just tell them that they're welcome, but show them with actions why this is a space for them in order to change ideas and perceptions. And I think that's a really, really strong and important statement that she made. And wow, it's, you know, it's, it's tough to stop these conversations, honestly, because I believe I could talk to you five and just listen to your, you know, wisdom and ideas and experiences forever. But we are at that point. We are going to start to wind down. And I truly do appreciate every one of you sharing today. I've learned so much just from this hour-long conversation right now. And Jamar, you've already been on the panel, and we're going to end in the same fashion. We ended the first panel of the day. You know, 2020 has been a tough year. We've had to deal with all this craziness we're talking about right now. We have a problem. We need to be better. But I'm a hugely positive person, and I love to hear what's going on in other people's lives. So Linux, start, Linux, starting with you, I would love to hear a bright moment from your 2020 that you look back on this year, and there was something good that happened in that year. Oh, man. That's that's easy, because you remind me of a, a perfect thing. Um, I became familiar with the craft beer professionals group that you run, and I made almost an emphatic post you know to me that's not necessarily how i communicate traditionally it, it, it felt i felt like i was flailing a little bit in in, in the post just kind of you know it, it just felt like i was kind of reaching for air um and i was received so warmly and welcomed in, in such an awesome way by everyone in the group and yourself especially as the leader of the group um, and that was very warm and gave me a lot of coal for the steam engine because this type of work a lot of times just happens in the wee hours on your own. You know, no one's giving Kelly a shout out for widening the doors. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, these, these things are not applauded necessarily. <laughs> I saw you shaking your head. I I'm like, right. you know, I break my knuckles the time. That's right. I like, I knew it. I knew it. You know, if you make it just early enough to the requirement, are you really putting your effort in, right? Whatever it may. So I applaud that. And the, the fact that you guys, you know, welcome my thoughts into that group because sometimes you don't know you know when I, I started this a long time ago you know i just knew that it diversity would absolutely be a thing in craft beer even that many years ago and um i was that's one of my highlights for 2020 shooting shooting an entire season of this podcast slash video show in new york was really awesome i got to visit 12 breweries uh at the end of the summer 
social distancing from everybody. I didn't even contact the owners. I just showed up and started recording. If they were there, they were there. If they weren't there, they weren't there. I was like, I'll just get everything from the website and you know, to avoid all those things. But that was phenomenal because I've pivoted several times since the start of the festival. The festival is not cheap to do. It's not as expensive as opening a brewery, but <laughs> it's it's still you know a twenty thirty thousand dollar clip the way I wanted to. I don't want to do just you know like a tiny small group thing. I want it to be got my vision showcase. So I've had to pivot several times over the years, and um, but I know that my strength is in content and content creating. So to be welcomed on that front by you and the group was was definitely a highlight for this year and sitting on this panel as well uh because like i said sometimes you're the only person kind of doing that work i'm lucky to be in atlanta where we have a strong black community um comprised of many different segments within that community um so i'm very lucky that i that i came here a, a long time ago but but yeah, all of those things together. I, I, I don't know. I feel fortunate about a lot of things. Maybe, <laughs> but but those are those are some options. Lennox, I really truly appreciate that. I mean, I, I love the conversations we've had so far, and I, I'm actually looking forward to the next one because I know there's big things you and I need to talk about. So That's keep doing the good work, man. I really appreciate you. Hannah, going in around the circle, you're okay, up. Okay, you're my next. <laughs> you're next. Um, the question was, good things that have happened in 2020? Right? Yeah, just a, a positive okay. from you from 2020. And if you want to throw in, you know, a single change people can make to remove a barrier, feel yeah, free. Yeah, I see Max's Good question. Luck. Max, I see you. Um, Max is my, he's my friend. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, 2020 has been um, a really interesting year personally, and I think is a, an entire world. Um, Obviously, I, we're all aware of the craziness that's happening. Um, but I think there's been some really good things that come out of 2020. Uh, first of all, I think a lot of these um, social issues are just being broken wide open. Like, there's no more shoving it into the back of the closet, underneath the bed, behind a curtain. It's here. Shit is being talked about. Um, and it's about damn time. Um, so for as crazy as 2020 has been, um, I am thankful that these conversations are happening. Um, I feel like my voice is, uh, stronger and louder, um, because there's more to, of an acceptance for these conversations to be happening. And that, that's kind of shitty to have to say that, um, because it should have been that these conversations could be had anytime. Um, but I think for a lot of us, um, we've feared not being invited to the party again, <laughs> you know, if we bring up these conversations. Um, and that's that's no fun to be left out. Um, so I think having a lot of this stuff be at the forefront um, has been a definite positive um, for, for 2020. Um, I feel now that I'm working within an organization um, that is super supportive, um, I feel heard. Um, I feel I feel supported, um, and that's a really good feeling because then that enables me to be able to go forth outside of the walls of the brewery um, and continue to do this kind of work because I 
don't have to focus all of my energy within inside the confines of the organization that I'm working for. Um, so that, that feels really good. Um, and to answer Max's question, um, what's something that we could recommend um, a change to removing a barrier um, and creating a more inclusive environment? Honestly, I think from just an individual personal level, um, learning a little bit of humility and learning how to not react uh, defensively. Um, just people in general, when if you are the person that has offended someone, um, learning how to bite your tongue for a moment, listen, learn, um, and then take that and move forward. Um, so I don't know if I really answered your question, Max, but I, I do think that that is something um, that everybody, you know, myself included, can can continue to improve upon. Um, and I also think learning different communication patterns um, and styles and, and that one type of communication, how you um, disseminate your message to one person or to one group of people isn't necessarily going to be the blanket for everybody. That is not necessarily going to work for everybody. Um, I'm a very emotional person. I'm an emotional creature. Um, and I, I think everybody that knows me knows that I'm an emotional creature. Um, but for some people, that's not the way that they will listen to the message. And so um, for me, I've, I've learned this year um, that sometimes doing a more um, dollars and cents approach uh, versus an emotional appeal is something that will help to convey that message. So um, I don't know if I really answered the question, but <laughs> those are just kind of some helpful hints and, and tips and tricks that I'm learning along the way. And, you know, I'm a learning creature and I'm an emotional creature. So. <laughs> no, awesome, Hannah. Thank you for being here today. I really appreciate all your insight today. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you. Kelly, your turn. I've learned so much from you today, so thank you. Oh, thanks. You know, I I don't know what to say. So <laughs> thank you, thank you for inviting me. Um, I think uh, this this year has just well. First of all, we've only been open, like I said, like a year and five months. Uh, we were only open nine months before COVID came to town, and actually, two weeks before that was probably our highlight for 2020. I, I, I should say our highlight for 2020 is that we're still here. <laughs> we're still pivoting and and just, you know, doing what we need to do and, and keep adjusting and readjusting. And the fact that my boys, I, I still call them boys, I don't call them boys, they're, they're grown men. My two young men, um, I'm so proud of them because, you know, sometimes transitions are really hard for anybody, but sometimes for people on the spectrum, it's even harder. And and they still are just going going with it this year and and they still enjoy coming here and they're they're learning and they're growing all the time. Um, but I will boast that back in February, um, our little tiny brewery in little Green Lane, PA, a town of 500 people, um, we got the best brewery in in Montgomery County. Um, so yeah, so that was that was really cool, and uh, and and super humbling because when they called our name, I was like, wait, what? What's that? 
but not Noah. Noah got up and walked across that room like a boss. And he took that award and he just shook their hands. And I was like, <laughs> it was because that was my kid that when he when he was four, I had a really um, high up psychologist uh, and the whole team down in DuPont say that we should probably put him in an institution. Yeah. So and I was like, I, I'll keep it short. The answer was no, we're not doing that. And uh, so he was my he was my guy that we were communicating through words printed words because he was reading when he was three, but he couldn't imitate a sound until he was five and a half. And he still really does struggle with expressive language. Not so much receptive, but definitely expressive. Um, if I was to give any, but I, I mean, I'm new kid on the block, but just in life in general, in brewery, and we treat it just like everything else in life, I think for anybody coming into this industry, anybody in this industry, um, you just need to share your story and you need to share the why behind your story, because that is what is going to connect you. Even if your story, like, like my story isn't the same as Lennox and my story isn't the name is the same as Hannah and my story isn't the same as Betsy or Jamar or Andrew but we can connect with each other's stories because there's parts of it where, where we get it. We, we, we can feel those times where we did not feel part of the, of, of the community, part of the it crowd. And we're trying to change that. I'm trying to change that for, for my sons, for, for other families and their kiddos and, and that started actually way before my kids were even on the face of the planet. My mom was best friends with somebody who had spinal surgery when she was in her thirties and she was left in a wheelchair and she and her husband used to travel all over the place. And then they couldn't travel all over the place because places weren't safe. They just, they couldn't even get in the front door in most places. So that impacted me greatly. And I'm like, and I keep looking at the calendar. There's so many times I'd sit in meetings for advocacy or or like committees or summits, and and people are just talking about all these barriers that that people are putting in place, and and they're just these odd constructs. And you have to ask why, why why are you putting why are you putting these barriers in place? People already have it hard. Why are we making it harder for them? And like there's times where I'll look at my my wrist, which I never wear a watch. But I look at my wrist and I point to it like I have a watch on it. I'm going, tick tock, we're on the clock, people. Like, let's stop wasting time. Like, let's get on it. Let's start affecting this change. And just like Lennox said, sometimes you have to be the person that's speaking up and come on, man, we got we got to do this differently. We, we just have to. We're dragging our feet way too long. That was extremely powerful, Kelly. The moment about your son, I mean, I think that's the moment we all needed to hear about right now because it was just so strong and it almost made me tear up for a second, but thank, thank you for sharing. Oh, I totally that. teared up for the record. <laughs> I'm an emotional creature. Sorry about that, Hannah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's what we need thank to you. hear. That, that was awesome. It's super exciting. Well, uh, you know, for me, I think, 2020 has really shown us the importance of being able to gather with people and being able to be in a space with people 
which luckily in our industry is like pretty important piece <laughs> of, of what we do. And so I think we've seen um, a sort of renewed importance for for um, being invested in your local communities, invested in your local businesses. And I think we've seen um, in a, a renewed sense of of the the joy and and what we get out of just being able to be in a space with other people um because be, before in 2019 we like knew we liked it and we went to the tap rooms and we met up with our friends there and we didn't know how good we had it right and so now in 2020 we're sitting in our spaces alone a lot of the times and we're sitting in our breweries alone trying to figure out how to get um, people connected with us and how to keep um, business coming in to stay open and what we're finding is that this connection between people being able to like really be connected with their local brewery their local tap room their local shops is actually really really important to our everyday daily lives and so for me my hope for 2021 is that we just continue to see um, the support for local and the support for connection and the support for community to really grow now that we know what it's like to not be without it Let's make sure we're we're never without it again. Um, so that that's been my highlight for 2020 is really been able, really being able to like step back and say like, okay, like we are all experiencing similar things at the same time. How are we all responding to this, and how are we going to make sure that we that we are with each other better in the future? Um, so that's you know that that's been my highlight for 2020, and I I, I am hopeful. I, I am really I actually am very hopeful that. This this will create a renewed sense of of local commerce, local community, and just being with people that we care about. And then, you know, Max's question about what's one thing that we can do. I think one thing that we can do is when you're in a space that's important to you, and there are other people in that space, just ask them, like, hey, do you feel like you belong here? Like, is this space important to you? Tell me why or why not. Have you ever felt like you don't belong in the space. Tell me why or why not. So I think being able to connect with the people who are already in our spaces and understanding why they do come or why they might not come back again um, is a really, it's not simple because it, it means putting yourself out there and asking maybe a, a questions that are uncomfortable for you. But being able to just take stock of the community that's around you at this moment and say, what's important to you when it, what isn't? And how is this space helping you do that or do not do that? I think that's a good first step in understanding the wider community around you. And Kelly, just uh, like your like your pride and joy moment for your son was really awesome, and it reminded me when I was growing up, I had this um, uh, things that I think in my head I could not speak verbally. I went to speech uh, speech therapy all growing up in elementary school. Um, the school district told my mom that I would do better in special school district than I would in in regular school and that ended up being very, very not true. And my mom didn't believe them. And she's like, no, Betsy can do this. She can do A, B, and C. And and now here I am. So when you tell that story, I thought about my mom and how like proud of me she was when I was able to like say things that I was thinking out loud. So uh, always, always tell the proud moments of your kids doing really cool stuff because it is, it is important all the time. No, thank you for sharing all that. That's yeah. I mean, I, I just love your perspective in general, and I always enjoy our conversations. And Jamar, you're going to close out Panel Fest, and right now, you know, I'm going to ban you from saying the same response you said earlier. So I'm expecting a little creativity here. 
Yeah, no worries. Uh, man, 11 different panels. God bless, I good mean, night. And just shut it down. What if he just closed his computer? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. What, what, I was what saying, it's... what if you just said, God bless, good night, <laughs> like, say on Def Jam? I don't have a mic drop, though. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Wow, after 11 different panels. Uh, so here we are. Uh, you know, earlier I referred to my wonderful fiance up there, um, which was a great part of the year. Uh, but really, you know, we're in another civil rights movement here in the US. Um, and, you know, to me, it's actually one of the most amazing things to have lived a life, uh, you know, only for 37 years before things were brought to light uh, about what it's like to live in this country uh, and not knowing how much better it could possibly get at all, or if people were even aware of the pain and suffering that was happening to those in their community at all. Uh, it's amazing to see it happen. Uh, you know, people in this group talked about uh, just, uh, you know, Hannah mentioned, you know, just listening, how important it is. And, you know, it's the same way that I had to uh, go from just being, you know, an, typical one of the boys, Southern guy, uh, and now, you know, constantly being on my feminist soapbox, actually, uh, because I had to shut up and listen. And, you know, I think that's where we are now with what's happening with the civil rights movement, uh, you know, and there's still so much more work to be done in so many other communities. And I think we'll all get there. Uh, so, you know, I love Max for, you know, proposing the one thing concept. So, you know, the one thing that I believe uh that i was looking at for my team uh, we've got more people learning different ways to connect and communicate with others that come to the tap room uh, so we do have more people learning asl actually in our tap room in self-talk uh we're you know we've started encouraging others to learn different languages um you know nothing against uh learning uh russian uh, or Romanian, um, but we don't have as many people coming into our tap room right now that have that roadblock. Um, but I think to look at who's coming into the tap room and not being made to feel comfortable and start there, uh, what can you do with those people right away? And, and then go from there. Uh, so that's my idea for the one thing, um, you know, back in January, I started looking at what restaurants and what businesses in uh, in major Asian cities were doing to start rebounding from COVID. And I came across uh, a, a pretty strong quip from a restaurateur that owned a lot of different businesses. And what he said, I think still applied to so many different concepts. Uh, that I faced this year through the pandemic and through the civil rights movement. And uh, what he said was, you know, no matter what you do, uh, for some people, it's going to be too much. For some people, it's going to be not enough. Uh, but the worst thing you can do is to do nothing. In the end, all you can do is do what you believe is right and what is best in your heart of hearts. And you find it a lot easier to go to sleep at night that way. Um, and I hope all of us will continue to do the good work. Jamar, such awesome words you just said. And 
Over the past two days, I've been lucky enough to talk to 50 different amazing people working in our craft beer industry, craft beer professionals who I respect so much. And we've talked a lot about in the past few hours about the problems we have in our industry. But if people like the 50, I've had the opportunity and, and you five just keep being passionate about the change we want to see, keep being the change we want to see, keep starting these tough conversations, then I am extremely optimistic, you know, about where our industry is going to grow, go and grow together. So I can't thank you five enough for being here today. I know I, Kelly, I know I told you a moment ago, I've learned so much from you. I've learned so much from everyone thank in you. this room. And I think that's really what we need to do. We just need to keep educating one another and we will be better. If we want to be better, we put the work in, we can make a difference. And it just has to be all of us just continuing to have more and more of these conversations because we work in a great industry. I think that's only going to get better. So I'd like to thank everyone who's been here today. Everyone I've been lucky enough to talk to. You are making a difference. And we're going to sign off Panel Fest right now. Cheers to everyone who's enjoyed these conversations. They're tough conversations. They need to be had. And thank you guys so much. And enjoy the rest of your evenings, days, whatever time it is. And cheers to that. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone.